Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this week we're watching Series 1, Episode 13, One for the Mortuary. This was written by Brian Clements. It was recorded on the 27th of April 1961 and transmitted on the 29th of April in the ABC, Anglia, ATV, Southern, Tyne Tees, Ulster, TV Western Wales and Westward Regions. The episode unfortunately is lost, but there are 80s telesnaps which are used as a recon on one of the DVDs. There's one publicity still, and a full, clean archive copy of the script from a private collection, which Big Finish have adapted on Volume 1 of the Lost Episode series, and that's adapted by John Dorney. Dr. Exton, do we have a pricey? We do, and I happen to have by me The Ultimate Avengers by Dave Rogers, who says, One for the mortuary. Steed has concealed a new medical formula in microdots in an invitation card that Keel will carry unwittingly to Geneva. Keel hands the card to a young lady he meets and a pursuit ensues to retrieve the card and its valuable contents. Having relocated the girl, Steed finds that his safe contact arrives with two heavies and has plans to sell the formula to the highest bidder. The villain's plans are foiled by the arrival of the police. Steed takes possession of the formula until a new safe contact can be made. Steed. Oh, thank goodness you're here. I brought some ambulance men. Where's the patient? Over here. All right, old man. We'll take care of you. Scott, Scott, can you hear me? <clears throat> Don't try to speak, just nod your head. Did you pass on the package as we arranged? <clears throat> Whoever did this, they didn't get the package. <clears throat> Fine, good man. You chaps, if you could lift him onto the stretcher. <clears throat> gently, he's precious cargo. Steed! Don't worry, you're going to be all right. Don't understand. I never met Keel. I didn't tell him anything. What? Keel doesn't know about the package. A planted package, but he doesn't know. He doesn't know the instructions. He doesn't know. What is it? Has Dr. Keel... Shh! Operator. I want a priority call to Geneva. Yes, priority. Now, I absolutely loved this one. This is one of the best of the run that we've had so far. A couple of bits of trivia. This and The Deadly Air, which is much later on in the run, apparently they share a very similar plot. But also, one of the cast, the East Kent Times, noted that Anthony Wayne played a Swiss detective in an episode of The Avengers, and Alan Hayes, who is uh, the sort of de facto Avengers historian, he's tracked it down to this episode through the telesnaps. It's not the first time he's done that. Anyway, you said that the Deadly Air has a similar plot. Isn't that the cold vaccine one? You could say that Nightmare was all about drug theft. Yeah, um, okay, okay, we'll, we'll come back to this when we, when we do the Deadly Air, but I wouldn't hold your breath. Well, we'll see when we get there, yeah. Like I said, we're a good, well, we're a good ten episodes off that, yeah. Yeah, alumni-wise, how are we doing? Well, we do have a Who alumnus, which is Dennis Edwards, played a centurion in the Romans and was Lord Gomer in The Invasion of Time. 
He's also a James Bond alumnus in that he played Baines in Live and Let Die. He appeared in The Adventures of Don Quick, The Tripods and Mr. Palfrey of Westminster, among others. Going down the theme of James Bond alumni, Malone Pantera was the hotel receptionist in Dr. No, and Peter Madden was McAdams in From Russia With Love. Uh, he also appeared in The Champions, Mr. Rose, The Prisoner, Adam Adamant Lives, two episodes of The Out of the Unknown, and an episode of Out of This World. And we, we will see him again in three episodes of The Avengers. And with his appearance in The Prisoner, he is one of the very few actors to appear in all 17 episodes because he plays The Undertaker, who's in, in the title sequence. Um, Ronald Wilson was in Quatermass 2, the film, um, will appear again in another episode of The Avengers. And his first credit was The Dambusters. Toke Townley. A name to conjure with. Oh, he played the um, the taxi termin. Yeah. <laughs> what a wonderful part that was. We, we will come back to that. But he played Sam Pearson in almost 800 episodes of Emmerdale. He appeared in Department S, Out of the Unknown, The Champions, The Rat Catchers, the Peter Cushing version of Sherlock Holmes. Um, he was the chemist in the film version of The Quatermass Experiment, and he will appear in a further episode of The Avengers. Finally, Frank Gatliff appeared in almost everything. Blake Seven, The New, New Avengers, Tomorrow People, Zodiac, Strange Report, Department S, The Rat Catchers, Out of This World. He was D.I. Matthews in Police Surgeon. He will appear in three further episodes of The Avengers. And he played Autron in Monster of Peladon. So quite a number of alumni there from various different series. Yeah, and uh, you always dig out little interesting tidbits when you talk about alumni, so I, I love listening to that section. Getting on to the story here, it's a wonderful, real, a very Bond-esque story. It's sprawled out across, you know, uh, England and Geneva. There's that definite feel to it that's international, which will yeah, be a, no. a staple of ATV stuff in years to come. And years before as well. When we looked at Knight Errant, there was quite a lot of international travel that was all done through sets. Now, we're fortunate to have some telesnaps of this, aren't we? We are, yes. And when you look at the telesnaps and you look at the assassin, quite how Keel doesn't recognise that Carol called the assassin young. <laughs> Never mind the eye patch. <laughs> calling him young if he's in his 30s as keel later describes him he had a hell of a paper round mm. well let's get the negatives out of the way first we are listening to these chronologically the big finish stuff is not released chronologically so they've not they've done seven box sets of the first series episodes but they're not in transmission order and unfortunately because nick briggs is in quite a few of these Chronologically speaking, he pops up again and again and again in subsequent episodes in really quite prominent positions. In this, he is the one-eyed villain that, for some reason, no one seems to recognise. He puts on a bit of an accent at times. Keel is interviewed by the Geneva police at one point. He describes absolutely everything about him, except the eye patch. He does say he's in his 30s. Look at the telesnaps. That's not somebody in their 30s. Yeah, there's uh, there's one of them wearing dark glasses and, oh, it's a bit of a stretch. Either that or he's um, been an 80-a-day man since he was about six. The other thing is 
How does Steed know where to go? At the very end, you know, they're all together in the taxidermist shop. How does Steed know where to go? It doesn't make any sense that he just randomly turns up there and rescues everybody. I hadn't thought of that. Keel had phoned up, but he'd spoken to Eyepatch Guy. Steed had no idea. The end of that particular scene was left with Steed pondering his lack of communication with everybody. And then all of a sudden he just pops up and saves the day at the taxidermist shop. It doesn't make any sense. But I think we're, we're learning now. Just paper over the cracks of the episode endings. And I suspect this is only going to get worse as time goes by. Oh, you wait till we get on to the Grand Year that was Rome. <laughs> is this the one that just stops? Yes, it's actually a wonderfully entertaining episode until they just run out of time and it's, oh, everything's finished and there's still plot left to go. But we're not onto the grandeur that was Rome yet. I do have some notes on this. Well, uh, there is one last bit of trivia, but this comes from the Big Finish version. And I know that you don't, generally speaking, listen to extras, but there's an interview with the writer's son, I think. And he's one of the actors in the Big Finish version. But he says that his dad had mentioned that there was a Tomorrow's World episode on the Avengers. Now, that's lost, but that's got to have been interesting. And that was something I've never even heard referenced before. So, want to track down, boys and girls. Tomorrow's World. So, what was Tomorrow's World talking about with the Avengers? Sort of things that are in the Avengers that might happen? Because there hasn't really been anything particularly futuristic. uh, Some of the drug stuff... Actually, from a medical point of view, the drug they're talking about in this one is actually quite interesting because it's something that would have been around this time, possibly a little bit later, was used as a a treatment for sepsis. It didn't work, but it was used. That bit was actually quite interesting. The the microdot thing and the pass and the pass card thing, I loved all that. It was all very spy stuff. Yeah. And yeah. the way that it all linked together and the investigative side of things, how Keel tracked down Yvette, it was all very methodical and logical. There were no great leaps of logic in tracking people down, which I liked, and it's clever. When there's some sort of deus ex leap, and, oh, it, look, it happens to be right. You know, the the hacking into a computer in, in something, and they just happened to guess the password because it was where the programmer grew up, and he, oh, yes, his grandma died there when he was five, and it was, had a real profound effect on him. I'll just tap that in. Bingo, we're in. And there's none of that with this episode. It's all very logical, methodical. There's a load of characters in it. And they're all well-rounded characters. The, even the scenes on the plane where Keel sat next to Yvette, this potential, really a potential love interest there. And at the end of the episode, it's um, it's sort of left there as a love interest. It's You can see a different side to Keel in this one. The whole thing just hangs together really well. Yeah, they wander off for, th- for a threesome. Oh, yes. Um, Steed, have you got a spare arm free for me, my dear? Come with me. Don't with my me reputation. <laughs> oh, Jarvis. <laughs> I have to say that it, it was quite strange for Keel to be given such a romantic storyline, given Peggy's death, and the fact that an awful lot of the viewers will be viewing this as, what, episode three or something? So the regions that came on later in the run, they'd have done Hot Snow, brought to book, and then gone straight to this. So it would have been, I am so traumatised by my fiancé's death that I'm going to fight crime, and then I'm going to pick up some random bird on the plane. When you put it like that, yeah. 
As time goes by, there is supposed to, you know, it's a little bit nebulous how much time has passed between these cases. They make a big deal out of redecorating the office. Is it this one or last week? I can't remember now. But from the audience point of view, have they actually seen the doctor's surgery? I don't know whether the, the surgery appeared. No, oh, yes, the surgery did appear. Um, I mean, I, I know in Girl on the Trapeze, we saw the, their sort of staff room, living room, where Carol was sat and watching the telly. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but that wouldn't have been broadcast in the regions at this point. Or ever. Uh, no, they went back and did it. The run did get, I'm sure the run got done, but they alternated them. Yes, but uh, my only negative comment really is Nick Briggs in another prominent role. And... Uh, I have nothing against him as an actor. He's a very talented man. He does. He, he's been the driving force behind Big Finish, but he's far, far too recognisable, and it just takes I mean, you out of it. Let's be realistic. He set up an entire production company so he could get employed. If he was a talented actor, he would at least have some non-Big Finish credits. Uh, well, I'm not going to comment on his talents as an actor. That would be monstrously unfair, because I, I don't particularly find him... Uh, he was in a... Uh, Minuet in Hell, which was a big finished Doctor Who, and I thought he played a really good part in that. It's just too recognisable. You know, Terry Malloy crops up in this one. He sticks out half a mile. These are the, these are actors that the people that are buying Big Finish's output, they're going to recognise, and you can't disguise those voices. The odd bit part here and there, yeah, fine, or they play a guest role once, fine, no worries, but not again and again and again. And that's the Nick Briggs problem. It is again and again and again. And it draws you out. This is going to sound terrible. Oh, don't pull uh, your punches. You haven't done for the past 17 years. You know the the spitting image, I, th I think it's spitting image, clip with Dennis Waterman, where he's going, oh, I can write the theme tune, I can sing the theme tune. Oh, he's um, a little Britain, that, isn't he? Yeah, that always reminds me of Nick Briggs. It's, oh, there's a role I could possibly shoot by myself into and guess where the casting decision's going to go. I'm sure he's a perfectly lovely man. He uh, is. He's a lovely, he is a lovely man. I've met him several times. He's great and he's very personable and his enthusiasm comes across in waves for everything that he does. And it's brilliant. It is brilliant. But there comes a point where you have to take that step. You're either behind the camera or in front of it. You can't be both all the time. And I'm working on something at the minute. I could have done the whole thing doing different voices. I know from how I am as a listener that it wouldn't be terribly convincing. So I brought other people on board and it sounds better as an ensemble thing as a whole. But to drop yourself into things all the time. It really doesn't work. I mean, this isn't the days of repertory companies are gone. This, and it's not a bad thing. There's huge, huge banks of actors out there now. Well, actually, the days of repertory company aren't gone. If you look at the way things like uh, American Horror Story are going now, because that is a, um, a repertory company. But that, that that really is an aside, and I I do agree with the point that you were making. And again, the whole point about traveling repertory companies is that it was an entirely different audience each time you played, which is exactly what Big Finish isn't. I mean, it's they're very big players in a small pool. Well, they're, they're the biggest audio producers in the country now by a long way. And uh, it, it's a small pool. Uh, well, yeah, but you, you sort of, in those terms, yeah. But there's um, 
there's a lot of audio output from the BBC and they're sort of rivaling that. And, you know, we wouldn't be doing this if a lot of their stuff wasn't very good. It's my only, it's a very small niggle for a range of audio dramas that are, to me, they rival their Doctor Who stuff as some of the best stuff that they've put out there. I know that, what was the other one that you've said that they've done that you really, you enjoyed the Tomorrow People stuff, which... I, I love the Tomorrow People. I really like the Omega Factor. The Countermeasures was in terms of the Who spin-offs, by far one of the better ones. The Blake 7 stuff is fun. Adam Adamant Lives was painful and I wanted to stick needles in my ears. The Survivors, I mean, I was never a massive fan of Survivors in the first place. It, it starts off well, but then kind of ends up as the good life with death. <laughs> but with Survivors, by the time they'd set up their own little community... It basically turned into a soap opera. Now, there were some very, very good bits in the early years of the Big Finish survivors, and particularly the stuff that Louise Jamison, she appeared in, she does a fantastic part, but actually the stuff that she wrote was brilliant as well. Anyway, bringing it back to one from the, for the mortuary, I do have a few other notes. Oh, fire away. So why is a run-of-the-mill GP going to a, a meeting at the World Health Organization? It's a good point, and I did think it, but... Unless he's won a raffle. It's only like the things like the Labour Conference or the Tory Conference. If you're a member, you can get a ticket and go to these things. Now, I don't know whether the, the Who thing is, is anything like that. It kind of isn't. There are medical conferences, and, you know, I go to quite a lot of med medical conferences. I go to a number of medical conferences, and they're generally fairly expensive things to turn up to. And you pay the money to get through the door, and you get through the door, and varying degrees of interest and competence in the management. The World Health Organization is a bit different, and you they don't do basic conferences, and you kind of have to be invited along. Mm. Or that's the way it is now. Again, things may have been different 50-odd years ago. And so the, the uh, setting in the taxidermy shop was, again, another example of that kind of quirkiness and the whole keel goes in, the taxidermist doesn't really understand what he's there for in the first place and the hilarity ensues with it, thinking that he's come to get a pet taxidermied and then he says he's looking for a girl and um, it's, oh, I can recommend colleagues and all that. That was great. That was really entertaining. Again, as with a lot of these, it's sort of the taste of quirkiness to come. When Keel turns up at the airport in Geneva and he's brushing away the, the courier who's been sent to meet him and ends up the conversation with, for Pete's sake, can't you understand English? <laughs> I knew you were going to pick up on that. Kind of struck me as fairly Pete Gammon. But again, of its time and... My final note was that when Steed goes goes to to ground overnight at Turkish baths, it really just reminds me of being a medical student. Because when I was a medical student, I didn't have an awful lot of money. And I was, I was studying down in Cornwall and living in the hospital accommodation. And I was a student member of the Royal Society of Medicine who did four weekends of lectures for medical students and if you were one of their student representatives which I was then you got to go to them for free so that, that was brilliant it was two full days of really top quality teaching but London's an expensive place to visit so I used to get the night bus across on a Friday night and I'd get the night bus back on a Sunday and I was absolutely destroyed by Monday morning and I'd, I'd do the, the lectures on the, the Saturday 
and and on the Sunday. And on the Saturday night, I used to go to one of the saunas in London and sleep there overnight because it was by far the cheapest place to go in London where you could get your head down and get a kip. And there was the occasional unwanted advance that you had to you had to sort of say thanks but no thanks. But uh, putting these charming anecdotes to one side, <laughs> should we rate this in masterminds? Yes, I think we should. Oh no, no, very final thing. Sounded great. The Swiss accents worked really well. Unfortunately, the name Yvette and it years and years before this would be relevant. But as soon as I heard the name Yvette, I kept expecting it to burst into Orane. <laughs> well, what do we think? I really enjoyed that. It's a four from me. I really enjoyed it. I thought it hung together really well as a story. The threat, the, the set-up, the premise, the everything about it, the way it was really well scripted and linked together. There were a load of different settings and characters. They were all cleverly linked together. The story was good. I think of all of them so far, this is the one that I've enjoyed most. Even though I've picked holes in it, this is the one. I'm going to give it a five. I loved it. Oh, even more than Nightmare. Yeah, even more than Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there was just a, a bigger scale to this that I thought did really stretch what they could do in 1961. And um, even on audio, it, it just shined. Loved it. Yeah, and it, it did have a real James Bond feel about it, even with Keel striding through Geneva being terribly English. <laughs> <laughs> you foreign chappy. Hello, what's this? Sausage, egg and chips, please. Don't spare the horses, my good man. I did really enjoy it, um, but there are flaws in the plot. It wasn't quite five territory. I can see why, and technically speaking, it God, shouldn't really... Like you at times. No, well, it shouldn't really be a five from me either, really, because there are a couple of fairly hefty flaws in it. And the one, I mean, the one that I've not mentioned yet is that when they're trying to go and get the, the microfilm past Steed just before he's about set off to Geneva and he's buggered off out to see some hypochondriac mother that's just had a first child, Steed sends a rookie agent. I mean, this is not a run-of-the-mill mission. This is something that could be potentially a really major medical disaster or certainly something that's ripe for corruption. He sends a rookie agent to do this, rather than somebody established or doing it himself. And you think, that's what's the matter with you? That's a fairly major error. And lo and behold, he stuffs it up. I think stuffs it up is possibly being a bit harsh, but... Well, oh, look... uh, (laughs) Keel's not here. I'll just rummage around in this briefcase that uh, that'll be his. Uh, yeah, I'll swap them over. I'll do that. And oh, look, somebody's managed to follow him, comes in, stabs him, and locks him in a cupboard. So yep. fairly inept. Well, you say that, but if he hadn't done that swap around of the cards, there would be no plot. Yes, I know, but send somebody competent. That that was that just struck me as a little bit odd. Yes, there would be no plot, but with everybody panicking, not only in Britain but also in Geneva at the World Health Organization about this, you're not going to send uh, y- you know the office temp. <laughs> that stood out as a bit of a a brainless thing for Steed to do. 
Well, it depends how much the Brits care about what happens to the, what the Europeans oh, think, really, doesn't start it? Stop playing Deutschland Uber, Alice. I'm telling you when you go off on these rants. Stop it. Tomorrow belongs to me. Thank you very much. On that note, <laughs> one to recommend this. Uh, yeah, one, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. No, one for the mortuary. This has been one of the best of the run so far. A real cracking example. Yep, absolutely. Agree completely. Next week, we're moving on to episode 14 of series one, The Springers. Until then, I hope you've enjoyed what we've had to say. hope we're inspiring you to go and track these down and have a listen yourself. Until next week, bye-bye. Bye now. They'll be back. You can depend on it. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. With thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions, and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the program was produced by Maverick Productions. Come and get those kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.